0: This guy shoots across the street, and he's like, that's my tractor! And so then I got a third person, and then we like met, and we, we got some stuff done, and we did some renovations together, and then things started getting a little bit weird, and my spider senses started going off, and I'm like, something's not quite right. Do you know this is going on? Do you know that's going on? I'm like, "Uh, hey, so-and-so, my spider senses just went off. Is that tractor still there by any chance?
1: Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom.
2: All right, guys, welcome to the show. Today, we're here with Jules Rubel. He's a private money lender he's passionate about investing in affordable housing and mobile home parks in particular he has a goal to own one in all 50 states um anybody listening to the show knows that we'd love to kick it off with a story jules so why don't you tell us your craziest real estate story or transaction that you've experienced thus far
0: yeah so um i bought a mobile home park in new mexico in 2020 And I bought that mobile home park. Uh, it was a beautiful town and, um, I really believe in affordable housing and it was during COVID and I had done a road trip with my kids and, you know, so come in with the best of intentions and we needed some help. I mean, we needed to fix the, the lines in the ground and, you know, kind of, ideally we're creating culture, right. And like making a difference for people doing well by doing good. And, um, The park came with a tractor and I'm like, I don't know, tractor sounds cool. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, Um, but it was there and I just left it there. And then um, about a year ago, I, um... oh, the other part of this is I always try to um, employ people at the parks, right? So I'd like to, you know, keep that circle, help the abundance in the communities. So I hired somebody, I had, I came with somebody and we just couldn't get along. So I ended that relationship, I, I, you know, I'll try to keep this tight, but it's it's really crazy, right? So like that didn't work out. And then in the meantime, someone else was like, hey, I, if that doesn't work out, I wanna be the property manager. So I kind of started playing around with this other guy and that didn't work out because he just decided to do whatever he wanted to do because he decided since he lived there, it was his park, even though it wasn't his park. And so that didn't work out. So then I got a third person, And then we like met and we we got some stuff done and we did some renovations together. And like, we talked about psychology and I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. Right. Like really? And she'd been there a really long time. And then things started getting a little bit weird and my spider senses started going off. And I'm like, something's not quite right. So because there's someone else at the park that has cameras on everything and like calls me on the side and is like, do you know this is going on? Do you know that's going on? I'm like, hey. Hey so-and-so, my spider senses just went off. Is that tractor still there by any chance? And she says, it's funny you should mention that because this morning the tractor got moved where it's been sitting for four years across the street to someone else's property. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's not allowed. Well, the tractor got moved, so I called the Sheriff. And I'm like, hey, Sheriff, it seems like somebody might've taken my property. In the state of New Mexico, if somebody claims they did work on your property, they now have an automatic lien on your property even if they did no work. Whoa. Note to selves, what? Yeah, so apparently in the state of New Mexico, I could go across the street and I could say, oh, I cleaned your windows, you now owe me money. So I have to go to court to get my own tractor back. I have to like literally hire an attorney to go to court to get my stolen property back on my property from that guy. So as soon as I found out, I put it up on for sale and I'm stepping back a little bit. I put up for sale on Facebook, my tractor for sale. And I got, oh, I got like 100 people wanted my tractor. And this one guy really, really wanted the tractor. So actually he showed up to buy the tractor and that's when this guy shoots across the street and he's like, that's my tractor. The guy who had stolen my tractor. (laughs) Anyway, the sheriff comes, all ensues. Eventually I, I hire this other attorney and he tells me this one little trick and I use that trick legally. I get, I acquire my property back from him, myself. And the guy shows up with a tractor and the money and the sheriff puts the tractor on his trailer and takes the tractor away. So that's my crazy tractor story. And like, that's not even the end of it. But that's the end
1: of the story for now. So <laughs> Matt, you're like, what? So like the guy that's taking the tractor is this guy that claimed he did work for you? So the or- first guy steals the tractor, but knows the
0: law that says, if you pretend you did work, yeah. Yeah. you now have a claim. Then I have to go, right? Yeah, get the rights back to my tractor. And then the third guy who I sold it to when he showed up, had to show up with the sheriff and the documentation. Got it. Because the same guy came out across the street and was like, You're
1: taking my tractor. Okay. okay. Even though he never owned it. I it. it's crazy. crazy. Wow. Totally crazy. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Like these stories fascinate me because, like, I've got to live stories. Tim's got to live a lot of stories. And so it just, for us, I know for some people it might be a turnoff, but for us, it's like it connects us to the juice that is real estate. Yeah. So love this. So, this is a, we're in New Mexico is this by the way.
0: Uh, it's, I'm just going to say it's in Southern New Mexico. I, okay. There's a couple things going on about it. I probably shouldn't disclose right now, but. Fair enough. Another time I'll tell you exactly where it is.
1: Yeah. Fair enough. I have a license in New Mexico. So, I, oh. yeah, so we have a little bit of knowledge. Outside, of I'll tell
0: you exactly where it is.
1: Yeah. Perfect. All right. So <laughs> you're a private money lender. You're obviously interested in mobile home parks. So take us through the experiences so far that you've had as a private money lender, like tell us like the pros and the cons, what you, the lessons you've learned being a private money lender.
0: Yeah. So, um, the, the reason I got into being a private money lender is many moons ago. So in 2001, I got into the mortgage business and about six months after I got into it, this guy rolled up in his Porsche with his little dog. And he was such an interesting guy. He was an entrepreneur. He had done, he had created some amazing things, and he had done some loans with the branch manager of that branch. But out of the corner of my ear, I heard that he needed money, and um, I was, and I didn't really at that time know what private money was, but I was in the business and new to the business, and I was, and I was like, I could do that. And it was like twenty grand. He's like, I just need twenty grand for six months or something. And he said he would pay ten percent interest. And I was like, what? I didn't know how to do it, you know, but I figured I could figure it out. And the guy lived in town, it's a small town, right? So I made I made my first private money loan to this guy, and I was completely hooked. Right? It's like high interest, usually short-term, and the stories are always really interesting about why people need the money. So that to me is really fascinating. It's the story behind why they need the money almost as much as the deal itself. Um So I think the number one thing is, and I I still hear these stories, but people will make loans without documentation. Like they won't get a deed. They won't get a promissory note. You know, they think, or they'll get a promissory note, but that's not going to cut it. Right. You know, um, so the biggest, the biggest note to anybody's self is like, you have to have a note, promissory note. You have to have a deed. You have to get it recorded. You know, and if you just do those three things, you're you're most of the time going to be in pretty good shape. Um, I do seconds and most people don't do seconds. So like jumping into seconds would be a bad idea. The other thing I see people don't do is they don't actually get make sure the ins- that the property insured. They're not thinking like, oh, wait a second, because you wouldn't know that you need to make sure you are, you are noticed on the insurance policy um, as a lien holder. So should something happen to the property, this, this one nugget will is like, wow, right? Um, what happens if the property burns down, right? What happens if there's damage to the property? And then even from there, it's like, well, what kind of coverage do you get? Because you might not get enough coverage because you don't even know to ask that question. Mm-hmm. That property burns down, you get nothing because there wasn't enough insurance to cover you. So I could go on. There's a lot.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a lot of trial and error. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But you learned along the way. Um, One of the things you mentioned on the pre-call that I thought was um, super interesting is that you're willing to loan to people that have a much smaller buy-in than most private money lenders are. So can we talk about how that Yeah. Um, journey evolved and why you're, why you're so willing to do so when others are not. Yeah,
0: you bet. Um, and again, it's like, it's always about the story. So, um, you know, this a little bit is about my history, but it's kind of like organically, you know, so I'm the youngest of three and I always saw myself as an underdog. And so I naturally gravitated to like (laughs) freaks and artists and, you know, like that, this is just the truth, right? Um, and I happen to be a photographer and an artist myself. So it was like I understood this sort of the mindset of this group. And so I went out about buying like low priced, really scary properties for one, two reasons. One is they're cheap. Two is you can get much bigger returns. So from a financial standpoint, it's like, where can I get the biggest bang for my buck? And that's usually been where other people fear to tread. So those, that's a convergence of like, you know, my own personal history, but it could each, everybody has their own personal history. And so um, then from that standpoint, I then have an architect, I went to architecture school and I've always believed that people who live in decent quality places who feel safe are going to be better human beings. We're just naturally going to Everybody wants to be nice. Everybody wants to be a good person, right? And then you have the circumstances of your life and suddenly, you know, you're maybe doing things you don't want to do. But what I discovered is it doesn't matter if you are on disability. It doesn't matter if you were a bounty hunter, none of that matters. Everybody has the same hopes and dreams. And that to me is really inspiring and exciting. Like I, I don't judge anybody. I don't care who you are, right? Fundamentally. So again, that kind of plays into the question because it's like, there's so much opportunity there. There's so much need there. And then the my drive for affordable housing is like, everybody deserves to have the best possible place to succeed. Now, I, I don't know if I answered the question, but it's like, that's the heart and soul of it is like, we're all gonna die. We're all gonna die with this much money or that much money. But what, what is the journey in between? And maybe that one person we make a difference to, right? Because we treated them unlike anybody else. We don't know. That could be the next president, right? That could be the next, you know, changes the world. So I feel like that's my, my duty to just, you know, be the best I can be so that they can be the best they can be because who knows? Totally. And, and I, and I will is... give you a quick story if you don't mind. Yeah, I have a... A young, a young woman moved into our mobile home park uh, in northern Arizona. She had a history. We gave her a second chance. She has a, a young daughter. And she's been unbelievable. Like, just unbelievable. She sends me the rent early. And she's moving out. She's moving up. She's moving up to, like, her own apartment, like, her own house, you know? And some people might be like, well, my tenant's moving out, and that's I'm going to lose money. I'm, like, so excited for her. I'm, like, I'm getting shows right now. So anyway, I just wanted to share that. Like, that's a victory right there.
1: Love this. So what I want to dive into is really the relationship between being a, a, of service and a servant to, like, the industry that you're in and how that contrasts sometimes with the business element. Like, Again, this is where I, I think things are really interesting. Like, you want to loan to people that are underdogs. You want to loan to people that maybe the traditional lending system has failed which is a wonderful mission and motive. One of the reasons that traditional lending has decided not to lend to them is the risk. And so yeah. can you talk about how do you balance the, the heart for people and then the reality yeah. that some people don't do the right things? Some people don't yeah. as- aspire. So, so kind of walk us through, like, how have you made a successful business out of this and still Great. stay true to your mission? That's a that's a fundamental. It's a great question, and I, I have a
0: term for that, which is tight ship. So when you you know when you live in a small space, if you ever worked on a sailboat, like you're in a small space with people, and you know you got to close the door so the stuff doesn't fall out, and that's your paperwork, that's your documentation, right? That's like you have a you have your, however many steps you have. I've got my ten steps, my twenty steps, my thirty steps, and you know. Um, If you don't fill all the boxes, you know, you don't get the money. So you can still keep an open heart, but it's not like you're just, I mean, that's the bottom line, right? Mr. Mrs. Jones or whoever you are, as long as you fill these boxes, we will go ahead and do this. And then, and then look, I've developed certain things over time as I've learned along the way. So some of those things you, can't really translate even if i was to host a class i could say make sure you do these things but as you guys know once you bump into it you're like holy cow didn't think about that and um like frankly right now i'm foreclosing on somebody it's first time i've ever done this like ever in 20 years and it's over a really small amount and um so to bring that those two things together you have the best paperwork you can right? You have the best title company that you can. Um, And then, you know, and, and look, I don't always do it. I should, I should, you know, I should kick someone out sooner, right? In my, in my rental, sometimes I should foreclose on somebody sooner, maybe. Right. But I always believe that like I can negotiate with somebody to the best outcome for better, or for worse. And so like I told this guy, I'm like weeks in advance of, um, his note coming due. So this is something I feel like I can do. You know, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, your loan's coming due. What's your plan? What's going on? The number one thing that I I find is some people just stop communicating. And when they stop communicating, that's when things uh, become more challenging.
1: All right, cool. So Jules, tell us, like you have obviously a real heart to serve people and particularly to serve people that have not been served by the traditional system. And obviously you have to run a good business. Otherwise all this money you have to lend out goes away. So can you describe for us the relationship of running a great business and being able to serve people that are of higher risk category than, you know, is normally, normally the banks will serve.
0: Yeah, man, absolutely. So it, it boils down to, uh, like this term called tight ship that I like, And tight ship just means, you know, you dot your I's and you cross your T's. And, and everybody does that a different way, but there are best practices. And so if you follow those best practices, again, like getting your note, promissory note, getting your deed, getting things recorded, using a a title company, really putting, putting the best practices that already exist and then bringing your personality to it. So I have a couple of, of things that I do. Like I do, when I do a second, I do it with somebody whose house most of this, most of the time is going to be for sale or it is already on the market. So that's something where it's like, okay, there's an end in sight. You know, I still want to know about uh, their, you know, what are their financial, do they have any financial troubles? Do they not have any financial troubles? A lot of times when you do this type of thing, there, there aren't any troubles. It's just, it doesn't fit the standard box. And that's, that's really the big deal. It's just an, it is an underserved market. It could be underserved people, but it's that they just don't fit in the traditional lending box. So that is actually how I got into doing those seconds is somebody needed $9,000. Um, they were putting their house for sale. They had a short-term glitch on their credit. Be, you know, it's like these little things kind of added up to create enough funk. No one would touch it. And, um, and I thought, well, I mean, I probably, I'm probably not going to lose nine grand. Right. I mean, the house is for sale. The market's good. So from the business side, it's like, what is the status of the market? You know, what kind of it's location, 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 you know, you have to kind of put these pieces together. And then that gives me the freedom going back to the other part of that is like, great. I can, I can, I can be open-hearted, and I can be a powerful business person. They can, they are not divergent. It's a choice. Now building a company around that, like that's kind of exciting. Yeah. I don't know if I answer again. I don't know if I answered your question, but
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: I can imagine for sure. I mean, absolutely. So do you have like a minimum standard and guidelines that you have? Or are you almost totally flexible? based on the story, based on the Yeah, story. There's,
0: and there's two parts to that, right? When you want to scale, you can't be that uh, boutique. Um, and uh, I prefer to, to be boutique because it's more interesting. It doesn't mean it has to be small, but it's, it's, yeah, it's custom designed to the situation.
1: Yes. Very cool. And I really like, you're, you're giving us some framework for the way that you're thinking. You like situations that almost by necessity have to be short-term they're selling, et cetera. So let's kind of walk through not a particular person's case, but, you know, like for example, one of the fears that I would have if I were to do private lending would be like, okay, well, they want to sell their house now, but they don't have to. So they could then pull their house back off the market. So like, what are some of the ways that you protect yourself? Is it is it a lien that has a certain date, balloons, like how, how does it all work?
0: Yes, yeah, so first of all, um, you do not do this on really on primary residences. So let me just clarify. There's got to be there. There are exceptions to that rule. Uh, but you have to really be super careful with that. Okay. So just want to make sure we put that out there. Um. So yeah. So it's it's time stamped. They only have
1: so much. In either case, they only have so much time. For sure. So what there would you are say certain, is the time frame that gives you comfort and the time frame it's like, I don't want to go beyond this. This is too, too long.
0: I, yeah, here's, here's the thing. Um, if someone's paying me like 15%, I mean, I hope they keep it forever. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, like 90 days, six months, um, there's, then there's variations on the theme in there where it could be flat interest, right? You have to pay a certain amount no matter how long you keep it out for, right? So there's ways to increase your yield without increasing your time. You know, the more you're we're here, I'm like this. This is not something you do at home. Like, you yeah, know, right? Yeah. You got to know how to do this. Like, yes, it's a. If you're gonna do like first positions there's still a lot to learn and you want to, because if your money's sitting in the bank tangent here, making nothing and inflation's 9%, you're losing money every single day. So get educated, get educated, get educated. And then you're right now, you're probably losing money if you're doing nothing. So back to your question is, yeah, shorter term, stipulations that house you know is under market has to be sold if it's not i'm always thinking about it there's got to be some other exit strategy like maybe they have the money anyway they just don't want to use it for this deal so you know again that could be like a whole hour of just how many stipulations could you have but i think if we're talking kind of about risk management you keep it shorter term you um you know You know, if you're a private lender, you you might wanna know that person, but if you do know that person, it doesn't mean you don't do your documentation. It doesn't matter who they are. It's your parents, it's your kids, it's your friends, it's your cousins, you gotta have your paperwork. Documentation.
1: Yeah. yeah, And almost almost more so with people you know, uh, because a lot of times they feel they have access to your money and you don't need it anyways and so on and so forth. So I have all kinds of questions. So first of all, I wanna know the hard and fast rules. Like there might be 40 requirements generally, but those requirements might shift a little bit based on the scenario, but there's probably like three to five that are like every time, like one is like, okay, don't, don't on primary residences. What are like the hard and fast, like, doesn't matter what the deal is, these have to happen. I wish I had that for you, but I'll do my best. Cool.
0: (laughs) You always have a note, promissory note. That's a definite. You always have a, a deed. That's a definite. It's recorded. For sure. You always use a title company every single time. There's no, you always use one every, I don't care if you're an attorney, you have a title, you get a preliminary title report every single time without fail, because there could be things on there you don't
1: know about. And you become yep. sixth position instead of second, so on and so forth.
0: Yes. You, and you also want to know what's going on with the taxes, right? Taxes has been paid or not. Right. And that okay, that's another one um, in some places you can't do this. I always make sure that if it's a six month loan they have to pay six months of interest upfront that's a hard and fast you're going to pay the interest it's the interest it's going to be paid up sorry the insurance is going to be paid up front. the taxes uh, what used to be hard and fast have to be paid up front. however, not all title companies can really do that so you'd have to take that on yourself to make sure it got paid but like you want to know that stuff because you'll forget about it. You'll forget about the insurance. You'll forget about the taxes. Hard and fast, I know I'm going on now. Hard and fast, you got me going. Hard and fast, you it. have to be on the insurance.
1: A- a- add, it on, is it, it, yeah. add it on as it, yeah. Added as insured, yep. Yep, additional insured. You have to do that. Um, and for people listening that think this might be crazy, this is not. Like as a real estate agent and as a person who has originated loans, this is what banks require. They, they make you pre-fund the impound account 12 to 14 months for insurance. That you pre-fund six, usually two, at least two to eight months of taxes. Like this, the, these are things that the banks do very wisely. So, so that you're not running into a situation where the house burns down and you're out of your money, et cetera, et cetera. So th- this is great.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, have to. Um, you have to know the market. You've got to, even if you just use Zillow and, and you know, realtor.com and those kinds of sites, you have to know what you're getting yourself into. What if, right? Okay. What if? What if the market drops 10 percent? And you don't necessarily like. I've been doing this a while. If I were a listener on this call and I was working, you know, with Matt and Tim, Matt, can you pull a CMA for me? What are the, What are the solds in the last six months? I'd have a relationship with a realtor where you can get fresh comps that are real because we know, you know out with
1: doctors on the internet is a good idea. That's a have to, have to. When you're evaluating those types of things, and I know it's going to vary based on the deal. Can you give us like either a percentage or an amount or both? Like how do you factor how much equity needs to be in the collateral, right? To, to feel comfortable in getting your money back. And again, so, um,
0: I do things differently. That I've been doing this a really long time. And so this is exactly why I sort of like I if you're new to this concept, that's why banks are like 65, 75, 80%, and they don't go above that. that's that's a good rule of thumb. So I'm not gonna say anything other than that to like the general new person interested in private money lending, don't go over what the banks do. That's just Good advice, right? But I do things differently because I've been doing it my whole life and I'm willing to take more risk than other people are. Like, I will give you an example. Somebody came and they needed 100% on a property, okay? What are the mitigating, again, if you're not, if you're new to this, you don't do what I'm telling you right now, but I wanna give an example. They had another house on the market. So that hit that other box that they like. They had borrowed against their IRA and they were going to have a massive penalty if they didn't get it paid back. So even though they paid us a lot of money, it still was saving them 20,000 to 27, I think it was $27,000 on what it would have cost them if they didn't pay their IRA back. You you don't do that at home if you've never done it before. So so yes, there's the hard and fast, right? And then there's like, oh, what other factors play in here where I can help this person because they need help.
1: We can make money and we're lowering our risk. Love this. If I can transition this a little bit to let's say somebody wants to be a hard money lender, like what do, what is their circumstances as a, like the number amount of assets? I mean, you talked a little bit about knowledge of comps or how to get good comps, who, who does the person, what, what requirements does as a person do they need to have to be a private money lender in your opinion? Okay. Well, I mean, that's a, yeah, it's a great, great question.
0: So, um, there's a couple things there, right? Um, you're, every state's different on what they allow people to do. So, you know, you'd probably want to know what your state allows you to do or not do, but from the higher level view. Okay. Cause there's a lot of people, they, they, you know, you're in a, you guys are real, real estate communities, right? Well, I only have five grand or I only have 10 grand or I have 50 grand and, and it's, you know, all the way through. Well, I, I don't have enough to do anything. That's not the case. Like, one of the people that inspired me was an attorney who started off his private money business with $5,000. That's it. He started off with five grand the guys, multimillionaire. You would never know it. And he just methodically did five and then five turned into 10 and did the da. So, you know, look, there's a ton of free in, you know, information on the internet. And I, if you were, in, first of all, I have a lot of soapboxes, Matt. I, I don't realize it. I get super passionate about this. Um, get educated, okay? But you're losing money, leaving your money in the bank, right? But if you take your that five grand and you lose it, okay, is that worse than having done nothing? Well, probably it is. Yeah, probably better just to lose money a little bit over time and with inflation than like, oops, I made a big mistake. So the under the Jobs Act, you know, and that's a whole other thing um, where people can, you know, get into crowdsource funding deals. Like there's companies that do this. You could join with those companies. I don't have names to give you, but they're out there. Um, that's probably not a bad idea. I actually did that with a company to see how they operated. Cause I wanted to know what, how they, you know, how they treat people? But um, first of all, you have to get interested. If you're not interested in your money, making money for you, then there's nothing to talk about. If you're, I'm going to be a little a little bold here. If you're, if you only want to talk about making more money or having your money work harder for you, but you're not going to do anything, wow. then I still love you, but this is not a conversation for you. So you've got to be somebody who's like, I've had enough of the way things are going. Uh, I got to do something. Um, so there is no barrier to entry. I think is the. <laughs> The short answer to the, my long answer, there's no barrier to entry. It's curiosity and it's, it's desire to do better. So if you want to do better for your money and you want to do better for your legacy, hard money, private money is a great place to go because you can do little deals, right? I mean, sometimes people just need five grand. Sometimes they need 10 grand. Um, and then you just, you know, let that thing grow. So I, I, I circle back and try to nip this in the bud. Um get interested, take action, which means just at least listen to videos, listen to you guys, right? You got a ton of knowledge, ton of connections. Like they should absolutely that you guys are are experts. Um, And then start showing up. Those are the only things you have to do show up, be curious and hang out with the right people.
2: Oh, I love that summary. That was perfect. Um, (laughs) The way you just put all that together. Um, So, just curious, you don't have to go into a long answer here, but you mentioned your friend that started off with $5,000. I'm curious, like, where's he at now? Like, he started with five grand. He's, How's he doing I with five money he's, now?
0: He's killing it. He's totally killing it. He's, he's retired. he be retired. He drives around in his <laughs> car. And, you know, he, he runs. He's a runner. And, you know, I mean, if you know what dolphin shorts are, he wears dolphin shorts, which weren't, you know, aren't even cool. Never were cool, but they're back. He's killing it.
2: <laughs> oh, there you go. So, if you do this right, folks, it looks like you could go from $5,000 to retired if you do it correctly. So, I mean, obviously, as he said, get educated, get around the right people. But, I mean, it does seem like this is a viable business that you could start with fairly low money down. Um, I'd like to transition a little bit here because um, you mentioned on the pre-call that you wanted to discuss how people could get into a property mm. with no money down. With if, tremendous I stop, if I can value. stop.
1: If I could ask one more question before we make the transition, obviously the point of being a private lender is to help people better their lives by giving them money in exchange for a great return, a significantly greater return that you can get elsewhere for your money. Do you have any insight on like, I mean, a lot of states might have usury laws, like in essence, in the max amount you can charge somebody. Can you give us a sense of like how you work that to make sure you're maximizing your returns but still helping people? Yeah, that's a great question. And the
0: the answer is unfortunately not so simple because, well, there is the simple answer. Find out from your state if you have usury laws, call a couple of different attorneys and call a couple of different title companies and, and get a consensus about what that is. Because like Rhode Island has usury laws and then there's how do you describe what you're charging in such a way that you're not circumventing the law, you're, you're maximizing what's possible within those guidelines.
1: Yeah, totally. So education, really. cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So so now go ahead and take us into Tim's question. If you don't mind about how to buy money, how to buy properties, excuse me, without without using your own money.
0: Yeah, awesome. So um, and again, this is this is a, you know, like a senior level kind of a strategy. And it's actually comes back to the thing about people because there's four currencies, there's time, money, relationships, and knowledge. Okay. So I was talking to a new uh, team member yesterday and he has unlimited time because he has no job. So what can he do? He can go door knocking 18 hours a day. Okay. Now, you guys tell me, you can cut me off. I'm totally fine. being cut off because I've always got a story, right? For every question. But it goes back to, I, hopefully your listeners are like, what can they do to improve their lives, right? I know a guy that has a 40 hour a week job and he's door knocking 40 hours. He's hungry, right? That guy is hungry. I got off the phone with a guy yesterday. He's got no job and he's like, I don't know if I can do it. And I fit it in my schedule. I'm like, dude. Like, it's all good, but, you know, you get the point. Okay. Totally. So I'm bringing that up because a lot of people don't think they have any currency. So, yeah, you want to do a zero down deal. It has to be structured right. But it could be that you find a deal, right? So, Matt, you find a deal. You bring it to me, and you get an equity position in the deal. Boom, right there. It's a zero down deal for you. Now, the thing that we've done is you can also get a first position loan and then gap funders, right? So you have no money in the deal. Again, it's a pretty, it's a, I mean, a lot of people don't do that. But in essence, you could say, well, get another good example. I just met a guy who is a expert in water. And I I tend to buy properties that are rural And so they're on wells. And I don't know squat about water and wells. He brings his expertise in. I'm gonna give him a piece of the mobile home park because he's gonna save me from who knows what, right? Now he's gonna stay in the deal. So he's gonna monitor the well and he's gonna do all the things you have to do with the state and regulation. But fundamentally it's like, okay, my partner and I can go get a first position loan. We can raise the gap money for people who understand the risk And the reward and then you whoever you are you bring you bring us a deal or you or you're a contractor right and you you do the the job for cost and you take equity on the back so there's a lot of variations on how you can still do
1: zero down deals yeah there's a mindset out there that goes i think something like this that partnerships are bad and you know, it's way better to own something a hundred percent yourself because then you have full control and so on and so forth. You're proposing something completely different than that. Can you walk into why mm-hmm. potentially that hundred percent I own it myself mindset might be detrimental to somebody, you know, in their, their growth of their wealth?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean,
1: yes, I've been there.
0: So you can, it, there's no one person who has all the answers, so you're limiting what's possible in your own growth and development by being a lone wolf. So from a, from a mindset standpoint, you're totally limited to what you can do. Second thing is that everybody, and its not run out of money is not quite the right way to say it, but everybody runs out of money. That's why there's a stock market. Big companies need more money. They ran out of money. So you're gonna run out of money and that's going to force you to stay small. And there's nothing wrong with staying small if you're really choosing it versus I'm doing this as a reaction because I don't, don't wanna make a mistake, I don't wanna get burned, I don't wanna lose money. Right, so that again, your, your, your mindset
1: is gonna limit what's possible for you in your wealth building hundred percent. Well, I love one of the things that Alex Hermosi says, which is essentially like your company is just like the sum of the knowledges and experiences that you have. And so, of course, if you're the only person in your company, the company can only go as high as you are. And then if you add people, if you add people better than you, your company grows, if you add people that are just your disciples, so to speak, then your company is still just the sum of you. Um, And so I, I love where you're heading there. One of the things I want to get a take on, you're loaning money to a lot of different people in a lot of different scenarios. And I kind of equate it to like an accountant who gets to see the inside of a lot of different businesses and gets insights. So you're getting access to insights from a lot of different people's decisions, investments. You love mobile home parks, but can you give us insight into one, why you love mobile home parks so much? And two, like what would you say your top three investments would be uh, given that you're involved in so many different types.
0: Yeah, sure. Um,
1: dang it, ask your question again. So so given that you have access to all these different investment types yep. as as a hard private money lender, what are your top three that you're like, man, I would do these all day long? Yeah,
0: um, for, okay. So the, the reason I love mobile home parks goes back to the beginning. You know, it's like, it's it's offering people and communities a leg up by I hopefully being a good steward-servant. That's probably the way to say that. And I've seen that, right? So usually lower cost, higher return. So mobile home parks, lower cost, higher return in general. Market's getting crowded, the numbers are not as good as they used to be, but someone's going to make a mistake and we're, and we're going to be there to help out. <laughs> OK, so um, it hits all of those buckets of affordability, profitability, that's mobile home parks. When it comes to, um, and by the way, just to hit on another one of those, I'm not suggesting anybody necessarily do this, but you know, as a, if you're a newer investor, you can buy a, a mobile in a park and renovate it and flip it. So again, lower cost, easier barrier to entry. You can usually still make good money. The money, the hard money, the lending is grease. It's the grease. So that's what's exciting to your point is somebody comes in, they're doing short-term rentals. Somebody comes in, they're doing fix and flips. You start to see what's going on in the market. And um, But I only have two. I don't have three. Because uh, I personally haven't done that well in fix and flips. So it's not my jam. I'm not that good at it. But I will JV with people who are good at it on the money side. But there's only two. It's hard money, which taps on every single
1: segment, and it's mobile home parks. That's my two. Love this. Love this. And I love that you, like, I asked you for three, you gave two. I actually love that more than you fighting to give me three, right? It shows that that specialization. So one thing that Tim and I love to talk about, Tim, I want to get you involved on in this too, is who, not how. Like, that's something that's been really resonating with us this last year is, don't take the time to learn a skill set that's going to take you two years. Just go find the person that already knows it and partner with them, so on and so forth. Can you speak to that? I know you're doing a lot of partnerships, but can you give us some partnership experiences that have gone really well? Maybe some that have not gone so well.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And before you jump into that, let me piggyback a little bit. You said there's four currencies, right? I think you're going to tie this all together in a nice little bow. Um, Which of those do you think is the most valuable? Because I would definitely pick relationships over the other three. um, That's bingo.
0: It's all about the relationships. Yep. I mean, that's, that is, that's the cherry on top of everything else. So, and I want to go back into the who, not how, um, I've had partnerships where I had full private placement memorandums and everything was dotted, the I's and the T's and didn't go anywhere, right? Did everything. right. I've had deals where it was on literally on a piece of paper and we, you know, we made a ton of money. So there's, yes, there's the way you should do things, right? You should have good paperwork. You should, you know, you should do those things. But at the end of the day, you know tim you're it's straight up you have a good you have a great relationship with somebody and you have no paperwork and you're it's going to go great right the thing is and going back to the other question about to stay away from them if you don't you, you want to hang out with you guys right right hang out with you guys maybe it's a year right maybe you know, I'm hanging out with you for a year before I even tell you how much money I have, or I'm hanging out with you for a year before I'm like, you know, I could help you with this. So it's not going to happen like that. And so patience, right? Patience really, in this case, is a virtue. Relationships, but get to know your team, right? And you're going to make it, look, here's the bottom line. You're going to screw it up. You're going to screw it up. Just know you're going to screw it up. And then everything is okay. And, and I apologize, but you might lose money sometime and you're gonna make so much more by having the right team that's gonna wipe out
1: any mistakes you made. So Absolutely. the who not now, 100%. Yeah. 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 This is so good. We just came off of an episode where the guy's craziest story was him being vulnerable about losing his shorts and getting foreclosed on on his first transaction. And the subsequent journey mentally he had to go through because he was so drawn to real estate and yet, you know, his first experience was so miserable, but yet once he came back now, he's obviously very, very, very successful. So I really love this. And so I want to get your take on a lot of the things that people I hang out with when they're talking about partnerships, use the phrase, like you bet on the jockey, right? Like, um, and, and so would you say that like true or false, or give us some insight into that? Like, is it more about the way the deal is structured, or is it more about the person that you're partner with that matters? Definitely the person. Every time. Every time. The structure
0: saves you from future headaches. If when things go sideways,
1: or if they do go sideways, it's always the jockey. Yeah, I can't. I mean, bingo, bingo, bingo. Awesome. So essentially, and your, your thing when you're listening to people's stories, you're 100% listening to is this an overcomer? Like, like let's, let's define that. Like, what are you would say the key traits, if you were to, to put any key traits, that let you know the person is the right jockey to be, to be connected mm. to?
0: Well, yeah, first of all, you never 100% know the answer until, until something goes wrong, you don't know really the, the character of the person. But for me, um, does, does that person believe in growth and development? Now, again, it's funny because you can't really ask everybody that, but you can kind of ask. You know, you get a sense of things. So if somebody doesn't believe in growth and development, then mm, you know they're stuck. They're not growing. They're they're they have got some old belief system. Now, if we're talking about partners in particular. Um, yeah, I want to know, are they aligned with my values? For sure. So I believe in growth and development, right? Um, I believe in great paperwork. Um, I don't always believe in track record, but it's nice to know a track record, right? That social proof, you know, who else have they spent time with? Have they done deals with? It's not like I'm going to go around and interview all those people, but, you know, what's coming to mind, Matt, honestly, is, is the things I said, but it's just, it. If you think the race is going to, if you're in a race, you're probably going to make a bigger mistake. It is a rabbit in the hair situation. It's like Mm -hmm. your life is already really good. If you're on this call, you already have a great life. You might forget about that. So, so just take the time to take people to lunch, right? Like ask people, what was the biggest mistake they ever made? You know, I mean, I've lost it all. I'm one of those guys. And it was all, it was in land. I did a land deal right before 2008. I didn't know land. I trusted my partners that they knew about it. And I'm not a land guy, but I'm still here. (laughs) Absolutely.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm wanting to ask the inverse of Matt's question, but I have a more interesting question now. Um, So what did you learn from the big land mistake? Um, because everybody that's doing this well, they have a list of things that they did wrong when they made a mistake, and they reflect on it yeah. and they learn and they improve. So, so what did you learn um, on this land? What I learned world? is,
0: you know, there's like your, you know, your circle of influence, right? If you're, in, you know, I like checks in the mail. I've always liked checks in the mail. I I don't like the idea of paying taxes on something that's going to maybe one day because to me that's an expense so it's just not my personality it was really about me learning about my personality and look the market happened to turn right then and there so I still don't do land I'm not I, I know friends that are in land they love land but that's that's it Tim it's just like who are you right who are you what's your personality type what's
1: your risk appetite so that's the number one thing I learned is I'm not a land guy. <laughs> I'm so oh glad you mentioned this. Like, so, so glad. Because, like, you look at it, like, we have all different types of people on this show, all real estate investing generally, right? So, you have people that swear by land and people that hate land. And, like, it, that's for every investment class. Like, some people will never do single family. Like, it, it's like, <laughs> I, I guess, like, one idea I have swirling around in my head is, and you're kind of alluding to this, is, like, go with your personality, right? Don't go with where the highest returns are. Because the highest returns might take you into something like, it. and you would think, well, it shouldn't matter. You're investing. You're just giving money or whatever. It shouldn't matter what your personality is, but, but somehow it seems like it does because people literally, and and we had a guy on the show maybe a couple of weeks ago that just got killed in his first two residential deals. got killed and lost like 50 or 60 grand. They went and land and had a couple land deals that he made a 1 million, $1.2 million spread on his like less than 10th deal. And, Yeah. So just would like to get a little bit deeper on your take on that. Like how much do you say personality and and choosing the investment strategy that fits your personality factors into your long-term success? Huge.
0: Like, I mean, you just, your story completely nails it right there. The guy got killed over here and was like, made a million bucks. And that's if you're not excited about it, you know, there's gotta be that spark. Like, I uh, should go into flip, fix and flips, you know, cause you can make big chunks of money. You, you already said it really, really well. I'm not excited about it. If you're not excited about it, you're not going to wake up thinking about it. You're not going to ask the extra questions. You're, you're not going to do as well. You might be fine, but like, I could go on. Cause I, you know, I can talk, right. But you yeah. <laughs> are find out what you love and do that. <laughs>
2: um, I think what you're saying is so important. Important, you know, like once you find alignment, and you're really doing something that you love every day, and you're able to profit from it. I mean, you know, life becomes a lot, a lot easier. So, I mean, this will kind of lean into the next question that we normally ask, um, Jules. If you had a billion dollars in a hundred lifetimes of cash flow, what would you do to keep yourself That's excited? That's a
0: great question. <sighs> um, because you know, I've thought about that and um i really would do just more of what i'm already doing right the, in, in a sense the more money you have the more difference the bigger difference you can make and uh, fundamentally it boils down to a, a hand up so it would it would surround education around financial security and um you know my son and i talk about this like money doesn't buy happiness and money does buy happiness but the Feeling of the experience of financial security is liberating. And so giving people the tools or at least offering people the opportunity to have those tools, that's for sure what I'd be doing. Because, I mean, I've jumped out of airplanes and I like motorcycles and I guess I'm a kind of a thrill seeker, but those thrills always end, you know? But my mission statement has always been all people's dreams come true. And I, it gives me chills to think that that could be. So going back to that one person, Tim, if one person, you know, by, you know, participating in other people's um, education pro- programs around financial literacy or being on a, you know, a zillion podcasts to get that one message out, I, that's what I'd be doing. I would be doing exactly the same. I would just, I I wouldn't change the size of my house because I don't, I don't, why, you know? Uh, I wouldn't change necessarily what I'm driving. Yeah, I might, you know, I might get a more expensive car. But like, so what?
1: It's all going to come back to the people. That's it. Love this. Well, Jules, thank you so much for coming on and sharing about your life and your business. One of the things that I particularly enjoyed was how you are balancing being a person who loves to serve people and loves to serve underserved people, underdog. Like I can relate and resonate this one on, on a super high level. And so for those of you out there listening, if you're the type where it's like, you wanna be successful in business, but you don't wanna do it at the expense of helping the person that's just getting started, like please take one thing away from this episode. Maybe it's becoming a private money lender. Maybe it's you know getting more into partnerships where you can scale your wealth so you can give back. But please write down at least one thing Find somebody that will hold you accountable. Take action in the next seven days because freedom, again, is only one action away. Um, And so, guys, thank you for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next episode.